1: or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call eight seven seven three
0: five one zero three zero zero. 351 300 See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.
2: A brand new style has arrived at Yumiko. The Camilla is a stunning high neck Leo, boasting an open wrap back and front mesh chest panel. This latest creation by Yumiko Takashima has more modern flair for a standout look, and for this month only, enjoy a fifteen percent off introductory rate on all ready to wear and custom orders. Yumiko is also excited to continue its virtual shopping events through Instagram Live. Two hosts showcase exclusive in-store options available to ship immediately, with different promotions offered each session. All three regions, Berlin, Tokyo, and New York City, have scheduled events for September, and if you haven't tuned in yet, be sure to check them out. Stay connected for new releases, events, and all things Yumiko at yumiko.com and at yumiko on Instagram. Our friends at Fayette Virtual Ballet School are launching group classes starting on September 14th. Founded by Miami City Ballet School faculty member Francis Fayette and Miami City Ballet principal soloist Lauren Fadley Fayette, Fayette Virtual Ballet School has been offering virtual private lessons since its inception in 2018. As students and their families grapple with making the decision of whether to return to in-person training, VVBS has created an affordable online group class alternative designed to offer regularly scheduled classes to different levels. Now accepting enrollments, students will be placed into one of four different levels within the program with classes to fit every schedule. Train virtually with their world-class faculty from New York City Ballet and Miami City Ballet. Learn more at com or click the link in the description of this episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro.
3: And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance.
2: Today we check in with listener favorite Alistair McCauley. We last spoke with Alistair in 2018 as he was preparing to step down from his post as chief dance critic at the New York Times. We catch up on what he has been working on over the past couple of years, including his research for his new book on Merce Cunningham. He tells us about his virtual series for New York City Center that has been exceedingly popular and about his new blog that he will soon be introducing. Be sure to tune in to the next installments of City Center's Studio 5 Live at Home on September 16th, 23rd, and 30th. More information can be found at nycitycenter.org.
3: Hi, Alistair. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a while since we've had you on, but you are always one of our favorite guests, and we are so happy to have you back.
4: Thank you. Great to be back.
2: And one of our audience's favorite guests as well, so we'll be happy (laughs) to hear from you.
4: (laughs) Well, as you know, I'm now back in London. The last time we spoke, I was in New York. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah
3: you were so kind to uh give us the scoop so to say on what your transition was going to be and give us a a sort
4: of i last taped an interview with you i guess it was august 2018 Mm -hmm. and we were going to announce that i was leaving the times the new york times until the middle of that september right and so you were sitting on the interview for a month
2: (laughs) (laughs) we had the inside scoop
4: I had told the Times in May, so they weren't, I
3: wasn't taking them by surprise. Right. <laughs> and and we negotiated it very happily. So let's catch up then. It's been a, a two years since we've last spoken to you. And um, certainly in that interview, you um, gave an idea of what you were hoping to do. But what, how have things been um, in the time since you've uh, officially departed?
4: Um, well... Uh, Nothing ever, of course, works out quite as you imagine, but Mm -hmm. it's been good. Uh, Immediately after leaving The Times, I stayed in New York for about five months, and I taught at Juilliard, a course on Cunningham and Cage, and I taught a course at the 92nd Street Y about Ashton and Balanchine, and I went on writing features for The Times, and I went on writing features, I think, until September last year. Mm -hmm. But in the summer, I moved back to England for about three, four months, and I lived with my sister. Then I came back to New York in the fall, Look, I can say full now. I'm really half American. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Stayed with friends and was a fellow at the Center for Ballet, the New York University Center for Ballet, which was just a dream because I had an office. I was had a grant for that period and I could just sit and research. And I researched various areas, but in particular I was working on my Cunningham book. Mm-hmm. I did more interviews about Merce Cunningham with people who had danced with him, worked with him uh, in those three, four months than I had done before and found out astonishing things. I've gone on doing amazing interviews since then, so it's really encouraging. Me. Um, and it opens a lot of doors. The more, the more you interview, of course, the more things you find out you didn't know. So it's mm-hmm. fascinating. That the right. questions you're. I'm going into Merce Cunningham's uh, way of... You, know, you all know that he worked independently of music. Mm-hmm. Um, I've started to explore really how he did that and really a lot of the time he was thinking like a composer Mm -hmm. uh, and really working out very complicated rhythms that had their own melodic rise not just a beat Uh, so if you speak to Cunningham dancers, they very often don't just give you the counts, they sing to you and they have a rise and fall to the phrase. So it's just fascinating to see that that's why these dance got deep into their nervous system because they aren't just moving and counting, they're really giving you the rise and fall and the voice as they talk you through goes uh, into the sing-song quality, which I love. Um, Sometimes when you go into Mercer's Notes, which are all in the New York Public Library um, for the Performing Arts, you find that he was like, thinking of fragments of music that we know. So there's once when he's taking a piece of Tchaikovsky, uh, and this is crazy because guess what? He's thinking he's taking Allegro Brillante, the music wow. that you all know for right. the Balanchine Ballet. And I don't think he ever set a whole dance... As if it went from beginning to end of the Allegro Volante. He just took individual bits of the music and then often spliced them up, but it just gave him something to go with. He made a, a Tchaikovsky ballet, that one. He made a Mozart one. He made a Haydn one uh, and a Stravinsky one and never told the dancers what the music was. Wow. Did you get incredible? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a story that I always I was interested in this. There's a story that Robert Kovitch was a very beautiful dancer who died in the last century, alas but he was really one of Cunningham's greatest dancers. And Mauss taught them a dance in silence, and Kovic stood there having gone through his, and then he stood quite near Mouse and said, oh, I like that. It feels, it feels like Mozart. And after he'd gone, Merce said quietly to the air, it was to Mozart. (laughs) And to this day, nobody knows which Mozart. I still have not been able to find that out. Right? Did Um, you
2: find out, did Merce always work that way? Or is that something that kind of No, Generally, he
4: didn't use other people's music. Normally, he was just thinking of his own music. These are just Mm -hmm. little exercises he gave himself in the 70s. Let's try bits of music that other people have danced to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I found there's a story that Carolyn Brown and uh, David Vaughan, both friends of mine, especially David, were waiting to go out to dinner with Mouse at the studio, and they heard him playing the piano because he was a good pianist. Mm -hmm. Not many people know about that. Uh, And they heard him playing Ravel's second Valse Noble Sentimental, which you know was one of the early dances in La Valse
3: mm-hmm. um, <laughs>
4: and, and Ashton choreographed the Valse Noble Sentimental as well as La Valse but as separate right. ballets well they heard Merce playing this and as they took him out to dinner afterwards they said Merce that's wonderful music you should make a dance to it and Mers just said quietly I already have. I already have <laughs> <laughs> and nobody ever knew during his lifetime what dance that was. And I think I found out. I think it's in his notes. It's for a piece you can't it? see anymore. A, a Lost oh. Dance called Story. Though it actually, there is a film of it, but it is, oh. hasn't been reconstructed. So we'll have
3: to buy the book to find out.
4: So that's all fascinating. <laughs> in this complicated private life, he and John Cage did not have an invariably harmonious uh, relationship. They lived together for 50 years. So I found out a lot of the complications between them. Um,
3: I mean, a fraction, but still. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, so there's how all of this, that which I've loved.
3: Uh, how has this process been different for you than uh, other books you've written? Uh, do you find that are you do you have more time to immerse yourself in this creation and um, this this writing process than you have in the past?
4: Um, well, I get sidetracked by too many other things, and it <laughs> is vast. So I'm every so often I just have to say, you know, I can't investigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But Merce is such a man of mysteries that sometimes I think, well, I seem to be the only person investigating it, so I'd better. (laughs) for example, he made a famous comic satiric piece called Antic Meat in 1958, which seemed at points to spoof a lot of the other modern dance of the day. Mm -hmm. And so people who hated Martha Graham fell about laughing because there was what they saw as a Graham parody in it. Um, But actually, when he was preparing it, he made notes and sent them to his... Artist colleague Robert Ruschenberg, who was doing the designs, and they're quite complicated notes which don't make immediate sense to most of us. But at the end, Mercer says, All of this is from Dostoevsky, the Brothers K, meaning the Brothers Karamazov. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just wrote yesterday to a lot of Cunningham scholars and alumni saying, Has anybody ever looked into the connection between the Brothers Karamazov and Antic Meat? Because from Mercer's notes, I don't completely see how they connect. The answer is nobody has ever looked into it. So I'm just sitting, <laughs> I think, should I read the whole of this Dostoevsky <laughs> <the> novel? So. <laughs> and you can go on like this with Maas all the time. He, he was a well-read man who had so many interests. Uh, I, I think you could spend 50 years researching this. Mm. Fortunately, I'm doing other things too. Uh, <laughs> and you, you, I speak, your general question is, what have I been doing? I moved back permanently <laughs> to England just before Christmas. Um, I've been doing a lot of things, not least just settling back into my house, mm-hmm. uh, which I love, and having a garden, and I've reclaimed so much of my garden. So that's made me very sane, <laughs> but a good thing during the lockdown. Yeah. Um, but also city centre has been great, uh, New York City Centre. Uh, when I was in New York last year... Uh, They first in the January, March asked me to uh, present a couple of their sessions at the Studio Five, Mm -hmm. which has uh, these sessions six a year where either a dancer or a piece of choreography or a dance theme is analyzed in front of an audience, maybe of 125 people who sit on three sides of the action. So it's a chamber lecture demo, and there's quite a lot of talking, but quite a lot of dancing different for each one, and I presented one on the modern dance choreographers who had been central to New York City Centre, Graham, Cunningham, and Taylor, with dancers from the company, and that, thank God, went well. And so quickly, City Centre said, look, we were just wondering about the show that we're going to do with um, I Married an Angel, the musical, which Sarah Mounds and her husband, Josh Bergasi, are putting on. We don't think we've got a chairperson. You seem to be a good chairperson. Can you do this? which was great, except Sarah, interestingly, we'd never met, you know, when I was the critic. And so she was the one who just uh, very correctly just said, I'll do this if I'm clear on whether whether, um, Alistair is still reviewing me. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wrote saying, I'm certainly not reviewing you anymore for the Times and I don't know that I have plans to review you elsewhere. So she said, okay, in that case, we'll work together. And once we met, she was perfect. Uh, and then we, you know, of course, we got on very well. We had so much in common. Uh, then I presented three more things for City Centre in the autumn when I was over there. One was on Balanchine partnering, which was fascinating. Um, Jonathan Stafford really took... Four, two couples through two, one young couple and one experienced couple sterling Hill team and Andrew Viyette the younger ones were Sarah Adams and um, Peter Cooper um, and great to watch them you know working with each other working on different material the two younger ones learnt the concerto Barocco adagio P- deliberately to get through it. Cooper's a very, very good partner anyway. Uh-huh. So wonderful to see them working on that. Anyway, um, and then we had a special session on Herman Conejo. It was his 20th year yes. with ABT. So I had particularly, when City Centre had said, What ideas do you have? I think being me, I had too many ideas, but one of them was <laughs> certainly Conejo. I said, Look, yeah. he's been with ABT for 20 years. We really got to celebrate, and they loved that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: and- so are you primarily responsible for that programming, or did they ever suggest? Well, I give them like,
4: ideas and then I right. give them too many and I say, what would you like? <laughs>
3: um,
4: and I do have too many, but they like that and I don't mind them vetoing plenty because they're going to choose some. <laughs>
2: uh,
4: and then they said, look, we think, you know, they were very flattering. They just said, we think you're the gold standard for this pres- these presentations. Oh. So can we ask you to give us ideas for the season from 20, 20, 2020 to 2021? Uh, on the understanding, you may not be in New York for plenty of them, but, you know, you'll be coming back to visit, we know, so let's see what we could do, and otherwise we'll hand them over to other people. Well, we were working on this, and then the lockdown happened. So I thought, oh, you know, and I put quite a lot of energy into ideas, one of which was on Misty Copeland, because Mm -hmm. I thought this is going to be Misty's 20th year with ABT. Same thing as with Cornejo. She should be honoured, and it'll be great to see her in chamber circumstances. and Misty has an agent. You have to go through somebody, and I think the agent does very good business, but it means you don't make contact with Misty as quickly as you do with some dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, the lockdown, the Misty was having an injury, you know, things just, there was a long gap. As Then City Centre got in touch and just said, look, we can't do the Studio 5 series we were planning, but let's do one online. Uh, mm-hmm. And how'd we go? And they said, we we are still very keen on the Misty idea. That was their favorite of them, all the ideas mm-hmm. I gave them. Uh, but we happen to have been in touch with both Tyler Peck and Sarah Mounds. So we're wondering about a Balamina series. Uh, so I said great and wrote to each ballerina with you know something like 10 ideas and said which one do you like the most (laughs) Sarah of course replied saying can't I do them all (laughs) and uh I think I also gave them ideas so are there ballerina coaches you would like to work with Mm um so uh Tyler and Sarah both had uh ideas for individual roles but I think I'm trying to think, I can't even think now how the Pam Tanowitz solo, which is coming up in September, uh, she and Sarah already know each other. They like each other. So that was easy to organize. Um, I know that Sarah just wanted to work with a Russian palomino for Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. I know you two have both seen the Sarah Mann's Nina Nyashvili one. Yeah. Uh, I think Sarah had originally chosen another Balamina, the Mariinsky, and we just couldn't get hold of this Balamina during the lockdown. Mm. Uh, so I said, is it all right if I approach somebody else and I Anna Ananiashvili? For one thing, I just thought she's going to have good English because she's worked in New York and in London, a great right. deal. And she was... We'd never met, Alan Ashley, so she gave me a call uh, and said, I think by email, first of all, she just said, I'm calling you Mr. Macaulay until we've met. <laughs> but during the, during the phone conversation, I think I became Alistair and she became me. <laughs> uh, and then she and Sarah and I had a three-way Zoom conversation and, uh, and we just talked 90 minutes. It was just talk, talk, right. talk. Not yeah. talking about the steps at all, just getting to know each other. <laughs> uh... um, Tyler and Merrill had already worked together, Merrill Ashley. And uh-huh. oh, you were just spoilt for choice. Mm-hmm. But it was Merrill who particularly said, let's begin with the Nutcracker Sugar Plum solo because it's such a good solo to get your point work back in shape, mm-hmm. uh, which I found such an insight. So I loved seeing that. And, and Merrill can work really fast. So they covered a lot of ground in what was then just three-quarters of an hour. Um, we wish now we could have expanded that, but we were new to the game. Now, <laughs> now that everybody's getting an hour. Right. Um, and there we are. Next one will be in mid-September. Stephanie Saland, Uh not, you know, for many people, not a remembered person uh, because she left New York City Ballet some time ago, but she was a principal. She worked creating roles for both Balanchine and particularly Robbins, and she was a favoured interpreter of the Woman in Green in Dunstead's mm-hmm. Gathering. So we start with her again on September the 16th. Mm-hmm. And... I think after the Swan Lake session, which was July 30th, I wrote to Stephanie the next day and said, you know, we've got through three dances in three quarters of an hour with Meryl Ashley and Tyler Peck. We've got through four bits of Swan Lake in an hour with uh, Nina and Sarah we're just going to be looking at one solo, the Woman in Green solo and Dance together for the whole of an hour.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: is that, you know, do, will that work? Do you, do, should we ask you to get, or should we ask Tyler to learn another Robin solo, Sylvia choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephanie wrote straight back saying, if I could have five hours on this one solo, that would be great.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that
4: would be really interesting. Another thing, each of these sessions is turning out quite individual. We're really going to look at a not virtuoso solo in depth. Over an hour, I think that's right. going to be fascinating and give us a lot of Robbins's mind as well as the dance. Right?
2: What has it been like for you to kind of get to know these dancers who, for so long, you for chose to stay kind of away from them to keep your critic life separate? So, how has it been getting to know these dancers that you've seen on stage for years and years?
4: Well, they're—I mean, I, as far as I know them, they're all wonderful women. They're all high energy and they're just giving people so i think as soon as i'm sure i'm I'm sure they all felt a little bit as sarah had last spring at first a little cautious but i had only ever met tyler once and you know she's like the sun she just comes out and and beams and it was after i knew you and i all worked together first on Balanchine's serenade Mm -hmm. well she came to the official presentation on serenade and uh she just came up for something like 20 seconds afterwards just position to suffer in front of me and said I just want you to know that I just thought that was wonderful I learned so much with Tyler's energy and it was just lovely you know. Aww, so Sarah. so I always knew she was a good egg let's mm-hmm. speak as I say and everything was Tyler's very easy uh, she, Sarah and I had met because of the city center thing and after that we'd met once one more time and I've interviewed her about Ms Cunningham, among other things, uh, on email. And we've liked working together. So I think she even really felt safe with me.
0: Mm-hmm. The
4: one who had not met me in any shape or form was Misty. And I mean, her sheer manners were just adorable because I wrote to her politely introducing myself. And I always I think that there is no reason dancers should assume I, there's no reason. I should assume they know who I am. So I just said, you may not know, but I was a critic of the New York Times for these years and before. And
2: oh, they know. <laughs> <consideration. I'm
4: laughs> so, and I, it's very good to hear from you. Of course, I know who you are. I just, I very much hope you're happy with your choice. And I'm glad to think of you moving back to your country. You uh, found a polite way, I think, to say, you know, you're missed and you did good work or something. Yeah. Lovely. And I gave her lots of choices too. And she said, I'm working back from an injury. I like all of these, but just in case, I'm still only at the stage, at the stage of doing a baby bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I'll work on the acting scenes of Juliet, which is one of the choices. Wonderful. And I think yeah. she left me to choose which Macmillan Juliet would coach her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I had about five I was thinking of. But once I thought of Alessandra Ferry, mm-hmm. uh, it just seemed you know, so exciting
0: mm mm-hmm.
4: uh, Mary was really uh, she was one of the last managers to create roles for uh, Macmillan and and she danced to Juliet I mean for over 30 years phenomenally. normally mm-hmm. I, th- I saw her debut in 1984 and she was, she did it as her comeback for her second career in 2015 2016 mm-hmm. uh, and the two women know each other so that'll be interesting
3: right so uh, you've you've of course you always come with a lot of ideas to the table for any project that you do. Um, but we like to indulge in these fantasies. Let's say you got to do everything that you had wanted. What were some <laughs> of the things that kind of uh, yeah. ended up uh, on the chopping block that maybe, you know, maybe in the future we can get them out there with these three ballerinas?
4: Oh, for, well, let's, apart from the ballerinas, uh, something I'll say now, and it all depends on money and availability. And at the moment, mm-hmm. everybody at city centre is furloughed, so I'm just not hearing much from them. But right. I think we would like to go into a male dancer series mm. after these ballerinas, yeah. um, which I'm sure leaves Taylor, Tyler and Sarah being frustrated because they've got energy <laughs> enough to do more, uh-huh. but so would every ballerina in the world. Um, uh I don't suppose I can name any of them because we honestly don't know which men we're going to choose. But I've already been in touch with two or three men just saying, if you were chosen, are you interested and what would you like? Uh, And they all understand it's complicated, so we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, yes, in some cases, asking them to work on a 19th century solo, in some cases asking them to work on um, a Balanchine, a Macmillan, I think an Ashton... Uh, you know, because it's American-based, it's probably more balancing than others, I would think, that we're talking about at this stage. But I want to make it a varied series, if we can do it.
0: I think what's
2: so... There are some opportunities, right, that are coming out of this COVID era. And one of the things is being able to reach more audiences by having this kind of digital programming. Mm -hmm. And, of course, for you, this created... Like you were saying, you may not have been able to be in New York for all of these had they been in person. So you were able to do this. So, you know, there is a possibility that despite... Things going back to normal, this kind of digital programming could continue even from afar. I think that's so cool, and that's
4: good. Look- I mean, particularly for everybody, must have felt that with Nina in Tbilisi in Georgia working with Sarah in New York,
0: yeah, exactly. uh, eight hours
4: apart, uh, and they had never met, you know, and physically they still never have met. Right. Nina's a generous woman, so she truly said beforehand. Sarah, I want you to come to Tbilisi and we all work on Swan Lake, we really will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after she'd seen Sarah's jump in that, which she's really impressed by, in that Swan Lake program that we did, uh, in, the po- in the post-show discussion, so to speak, Nina promptly said, Sarah, I don't just want you to do Swan Lake, I want you to do Lorenzio. That was a great Maya Plisetskaya role and I think it'd be so good for you.
0: Ah, uh, so cool. And I sent
4: a bit of as Laurentia and Ossipova's Lorencia to
3: Sarah. Sarah
4: just wrote back saying, oh my God, I can never jump like that.
3: (laughs) It's funny because I... She was very excited. It it reminds me of... uh, Some of the work on Lorenzia reminds me of what what Retmanski did for her in Namuna. That sort of just like go for broke. Absolutely. uh, You know, wild. Yeah, I, I just, I think Sarah would be wonderful. But I love that Nina had that idea because I think... As you, I mean, you know, Sarah didn't know Lorenzo. She wasn't familiar. You had to sort of introduce her. (laughs) So, you know, one wouldn't immediately make that connection, but I do love that uh, Nina brought that up. Yes.
4: Uh, And it's been lovely being in touch with them. I think Sarah, I mean, Sarah's been dancing Matsatiana for several years, but she suddenly emailed me the other day saying, I'm coaching ballet Chicago students online in Matsatiana. Is there anything you could tell me about it? Mm that was a big question, you know, mm-hmm. but I remember just writing for an hour or two just all the historical things about Balanchine's Mazzartiana and the music uh, to her. I don't know what use she took from it, but she wrote back at the end of the first day saying, I've already taken one of your points. So good. <laughs> wasn't quite wasted time. No. Mm-hmm. Um, well, also, I hope, I hope in the next month or two, I'm going to set up a website or blog. I never know what you call these things. And I'm going to put on it quite a lot of the research I've done into the performing arts it won't just be dance but for example since you're a dance conversations uh, <laughs> I'm going to put on a questionnaire that I've been working on with Doug Fullington and Marian Smith and other people looking into Giselle really asking them uh, all kinds of detailed questions about how Giselle was both at the premiere and going through the Mariinsky history what Petipa wanted awesome. is there a I'm sure lots of you have looked at books and thought, that photograph doesn't make any sense. What does right. it mean? Mm-hmm. For example, in this one book on Giselle, there has a photograph of Robert Helpman dead on the floor at the end of the ballet with Wilfred the Squire and other huntsmen coming in, looking at his dead body as if to say, oh, what's happened? And we, knowing Giselle, look at it and think, it just, that's Albrecht exhausted at the end of Giselle and he can't even stand. no. Petipa rearranged Giselle uh, at the end of the 19th century so that Albrecht dies at the end of the ballet. And it's actually in the notation. And I had never known this until I asked Doug Clonington and Marion Smith. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: hmm.
4: So that's fascinating to know. Not that any of it is going to stage that again, but it was staged like that up to the 1940s in London. Uh, so I'm going to get all of these things in a questionnaire. I'm always curious... Uh for example, this is nice you're you a dancer, so you don't mind a bit of pedantry. What <laughs> where are Giselle's arms when she die in her solo, her variation in Act One? Uh-huh. Da liam, da liam, da liam da mm-hmm. da. When she does her first arabesque, peak arabesque, where do her arms go? Because the royal tradition is that she has, she's in profile and she has arms en courant, arms en haut above her head.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Whereas Russian and other dancers often do some kind of high first arabesque. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, if you've I, I, seen the arms en courant, it matches the music. da Right. And then she goes down into partially earlier. I think it's musical to do it that way, mm-hmm. but I notice yeah. the Russians don't do it that way, and others, even Alicia Markova, seems early to have decided to do the more open arm thing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we think, we, think the, we think the Ankaraan is correct and it goes back and Ratmansky has slightly joined in the conversation. Uh, okay. Uh, he's, a, he's a man. <laughs> I did a questionnaire with him last autumn before the Bolshoi production that he staged mm-hmm. of Giselle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he said, oh, I'm putting my arms, his phrase is honor
3: well on mm-hmm. right. nice. that's what I, well that's how we did it in miami city ballet so good for us but <laughs> <I> do, uh, <laughs> my, my and,
4: I, and i'm the kind of nerd
3: that can ask these questions
4: mm-hmm. It's is the same thing that i do the ratmansky before his sleeping beauty i right. think for that case i had 101 questions from it just originally i just fed him five questions and then I, I had more and more and more and he was keen to answer now, it's busy, so we haven't done that kind of detail Oh Giselle. But Doug and Marion have been answering my questions over five, six years. And we've brought in the historian Jane Pritchard. We've brought in Mena Gilgood, who's talked to Kasavana and to Anton Dolin. That's going back to the beginning of the 20th century on Giselle. She also danced both Giselle and Myrta herself. And she staged the ballet in Boston, in Australia. So she really knows a lot. How cool. Um, it's not going to make Giselle
3: any tidier. It makes it in some ways a lot of a lot of mess, <laughs> but a very interesting mess. Can we talk about that detail for a little just a second uh, to re- rewind to Albrecht's death? Because yeah. uh, I'm just curious, what a why that decision would have been made if, if Petipa just thought it was more theatrically uh, impactful, and then why was it switched back? Do we have ideas about that? Um, I would think
4: it's a nice question. I don't suppose I've ever quite worked out why Petipa put in the death, but it makes it symmetrical. Act one ends with Giselle Mm -hmm. dead and everybody going, oh, know she's actually dead. Uh, And that happens at the end of act two. It also, of course, implies that this dancing they have done together has been in a way successful because she does love him. Uh, he really is dying. This is one of the most important things to us. He really is dancing, sorry, in act two, because he wants to die. He throws himself into the dances, not because you know, he's not afraid of the willies. He really wants to lose himself and to be reunited with Giselle in death, right. which is one of the things that is least clear about Giselle. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's so when he dies again, in a way he's achieved what he wanted, even though Giselle most of the time was trying to save him. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know where, how you now ended in Miami, but the real original ending uh, is, of course, with uh, she does save him. He is alive at dawn. And then Bathilde comes into the forest with Wilfred and with other people. And uh, Batilde well as she's approaching Giselle with her dying breath she sinks not into the grave or anything she sinks into an, what the English call a grassy knoll mm.
0: <laughs>
4: as she sinks through the flowers um She's just, just to Albrecht saying, there is Bathilde. She's your real fiancée. It's your duty to marry her. Uh, make sure you do. And she blesses their union as she disappears into the flowers. Oh. We just do uh, like a that-
2: boré off into the grave and then <laughs> Albrecht gets flowers and cries and curtain. <laughs>
4: and the grassy mole, which separate from the grave, uh, mm-hmm. is sort of on the other side of the stage, gotcha. used to matter a lot. And you know, Balanchine twice staged the end of Giselle, and he made sure that the grass, the flowers and the grass were there so that his results could go into it. It's what the Royal Ballet used to do. I used to see it in the early 80s, um, but I didn't ever see Batilde. The Royal did it before my time briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Fullington and Mary Smith and Peter Bowle brought it in their Pacific production of Giselle mm-hmm. in 2011, 2014. They were going to do it this spring. I was going over for a Giselle Conference for the revival of their Giselle this April, oh. but guess what? It's one of the many things we've all cancelled.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, um, but maybe, can they throw that into their digital season? Because that's something I would really be interested in seeing. I think Giselle's
4: is a big thing to do on Zoom, don't
0: you?
2: <laughs> 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 They're actually doing some performing now and we talked to Peter Bold just last week or something mm-hmm. and hearing nice them listening. talk about what he has,
4: he's, he has to check the scale as to what things are. Due. Of
2: course, yeah, it's yeah. Too many. not social distancing. There, I know. I was sure. just <laughs>
3: hoping they they did um, they they released like I think it was a dress rehearsal of Swan Lake, so mm-hmm. I thought maybe we could get some archival footage. Right, I'd be right. down for that. No,
4: that's a good point. And they, I don't know if they're happy enough with their archival footage to release that online. Right, but if they are, as possible, I know that Doug, Doug and Marion have shown it at a Giselle. Uh, seminar. I ran a three-day mm-hmm. seminar in New York on Giselle. With them was probably the most important of the scholars contributors who came. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I don't remember they showed all of it, but they certainly showed some. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. I think that's such a that's been a real problem with most ballet companies, at least from what I've heard, is that like the, the archival footage is just not that great. Generally, you know, it's mm-hmm. ballet companies are always struggling uh, in the cash department. So thinking, okay, I'm going to invest. Uh, in really great um, archival footage is not something that one comes up with and then, you know, COVID hits and you're like, oh, oops.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, were, we three are nerds and so we would watch some pretty obscure, dim uh, films just to see what's important indeed. about it. Exactly. Just as I sit in the New York Public Library game, and you do to Michael, going through really arcane films because we know there's a point of interest there. Right. But you can't be sure that too many dozen or a hundred people are going to watch.
2: Yeah, So once the lockdown came for you, you were already done with your time in New York, right? You were back in London. What has been some of the things that you've focused on during having some extra time? And have you thrown some new projects in during this time? Other than the ones we've already covered, of course.
4: (laughs) Uh, Well, I want, when I... uh when I'm not working on Merce and when I am working on dance, one of my projects is to work on the Ashton Balanchine book. And I spoke to you often before my Ashton Balanchine lecture, mm-hmm. I suppose, at the beginning of 2018. That will be a book. So that's another one. And it will really be to do with them and classicism. Those two men as the leading choreographic classicists of the mid and late 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't yet begun work on this, but I'm going to. There, of course, will be a Nutcracker book. As you may remember, Mm -hmm. I did a Nutcracker marathon for the New York Times uh, in 2010 when I think I saw 28 productions, maybe 27, Mm -hmm. I forget, and many more performances. So I've asked a lot of the Nutcracker questions. What's interesting about Nutcrackers, you know, you don't, I don't get tired of it. Whenever I talk about this, so many people in the dance hall would say, oh, God, how awful you'll die if you see that many Nutcrackers, <laughs> including Jack Anderson, who wrote a book on the Nutcracker. When I first had the idea, he just said, no, no, don't do it. <laughs> now, there are bad <laughs> Nutcrackers certainly
3: Uh, we've (laughs) all seen them you don't have (laughs) to watch
4: them twice you just watch you can watch any nutcracker once because the music is so different the plot is never the same Mm -hmm. Uh, so you can watch anyone once Think, oh they've chosen to do that have they to that bit of music and there's always a twist Mm -hmm. and quite a lot of them have very good solutions you know my favorites Mm -hmm. outside new york uh, in that marathon I did were Eve Anderson's for Ballet Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, the really rather adorable one for um, Richmond Ballet in mm-hmm. Virginia, and oh, what was my third? Oh, the old one. It may be America's oldest. Um, William, William Christensen's one, mm-hmm. which is now a dance by Ballet West in Salt mm-hmm. Lake City. But, you know, I was going from that, this is December 2010, Uh with snow piled waist high on the sidewalks. And the next day I was flying to Houston where I could sunbathe on the roof of my hotel, uh, not sunbathe, uh-huh. swim, swim in the pool on the roof of my hotel. Uh-huh. <laughs> so That's I was really seeing a lot of it in December.
2: Uh-huh. Big happy memories. That's awesome.
4: Uh, so all of those things. Uh, interesting, This, you know, there's been a lot of online stuff. I would have been, uh, I think, the main presenter at the Oxford Dance Socks is a, uh, a dance res- research society in Oxford, England. And they were, last year, I was their main presenter for their summer school, their first summer school. It went well. We were going to do it again this year. There was a lockdown. So they did as much as they could online. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all went to Oxford individually um, wearing masks, but took our mask off as we gave this, our lectures to, individ- to, to an empty hall,
0: mm-hmm.
4: um, none of us at the same time. Anyway, but that happened in July. It was a great pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And has had another connection with America for me because there's a wonderful American dancer called Parisa Cobden. and she danced for Paul Taylor for 15 years.
0: Mm-hmm. Now,
4: she met an Englishman about three years ago, fell in love, moved to England. After Paul Taylor's death... Uh, and uh and is now heavily pregnant she's going to give birth in the next three weeks or so Mm. but uh, she wrote to me uh when she was leaving and just saying i'm moving to england you know more about england than i do what connections with the english dance world Mm. uh can you help me make so i put her in touch with dance so she and i both presented on paul taylor which was lovely giving complimentary talks
0: that's great Um,
4: because I wasn't pregnant, I possibly could do more demonstrations. <laughs> but I think she could do it rather better. Yeah.
2: Do you feel that during this time with so much digital dance, so much discussion surrounding dance in a digital platform, do you feel more connected to the dance world now or less? How does that? Um,
4: nice question. Um, there are there are areas I just don't know about and areas I don't look into and mm-hmm. you know I was a critic for over forty years i'm very happy to take my distance from some things There's some choreographers, some ballets I just don't need to look at in a hurry <laughs> if ever <laughs> again um, but so many friends on both sides of the Atlantic so yes i'm mean, just social i'm doing a lot on social media and I just mm-hmm. and I follow people on social media. I just find it really fascinating and I, mm-hmm. I notice other people are too uh. I love what Alexei Ratmansky is doing at the moment. He is researching into old, silent film of Russian dancers, often from the first 20 years of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And is putting it onto Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's just fascinating what he's coming up with. And then he knows the biographical material. He's also finding stuff that, or he knows stuff and shares it. There's a dancer I'd never heard of. He just put on yesterday doing Gamzati's variation. I saw and that. On Q Kitry's variation. It's and amazing. Said, these are possibly the best performances ever of these two variations. Mm-hmm. That's when Ratmansky says that, you really pay attention. Right. And there's this <laughs> phenomenal dancer. I wish I could remember her name right now. Uh, she came from not Kazakhstan, but one of the southern states of the old Soviet Union. These are filmed in the 1970s. Uh, so it's fascinating to learn all that. I've done a little correspondence with Ratmansky about some of the ballets I'm researching, but I know he's hard at work on his own stuff.
2: Yeah. Is there a connection that you've made through your research um, recently that's, other than dancers that we talked about, is there someone that you've made a connection with that's really helping you maybe with your Merce stuff that maybe you wouldn't have been in touch with if it weren't for this? He's crazy. I mean, amazing.
4: Particularly when you're reviewing a rehearsal, researching a book like Cunningham people want Mm -hmm. to share Mm
2: -hmm.
4: and he died 10 years 11 years ago and this is just the time when people are all of an age and they think I was in touch with a master choreographer many of them think as I do he was a Mm -hmm. genius uh and they now really want they they're more in touch with what their experience was they can talk about it better than they could at the time Mm -hmm. um Some people have been hard to get hold of, which is fascinating. So, for example, one man I interviewed who wasn't a dancer. Uh, He was married to one of the Cunningham dancers and they are still married uh, years later but he was a doctor so he treated Merce and John Cage as a doctor. He was on their board and had a wonderful interview. He told me some breathtaking stuff but he also said you've got to find the musician composer Andrew Carver because he worked with John Cage on his very last scores and he said, I just don't know where he is. And I wrote to everybody in the Cunningham establishment saying, do you know where Andrew Culver is? And nobody quite knew. They had an old email address and it didn't work. And then they said, oh, maybe this email address works. And it didn't work. Mm. But finally, I managed to fiddle around online and found one. And eventually it reached him through his wife. Uh and, and he just told me amazing things about working with Mass, mucking with John. Um, I'm not even going to tell you the most bombshell thing he told me, but it's going into my book. <laughs> and then he was just such a nice, relaxed man uh, that he emailed me a week or two later saying, oh, I've just thought of two more things I'd like to tell you, uh, nice. a- and did. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, I have one last question that um, <laughs> I, I was just thinking. If tomorrow the pandemic ended, and you could have your choice of any live dance performance. What What do you think you'd want to see first?
4: Oh my goodness! Um, well, at the moment, I need to see Cunningham because mm-hmm. I love. I, I'm happy to watch Cunningham on video, but it's never the same. You just need to see things live. And mm-hmm. I increasingly think that we've l- watched two, well, three master choreographers, and I lived through their age, and those mm-hmm. are. Uh, Ashton, Balanchine, Cunningham, but I think actually Cunningham and Balanchine are the greater of the three. Uh, and I hate to say it to my beloved Ashton <laughs> but I just think Cunningham was so way out there, if there's a dance, I've said this before actually, it would be a work called Doubles and it has been reconstructed, it was beautiful from 1985 Trish, um, Trish Lent who is the head of licensing for the Cunningham Trust has reconstructed it um, about five six years ago, it's such a beautiful piece and just seven dancers on stage and has that thing that Cunningham can do better than anybody in the world where you have a wonderful riveting solo going on center stage but there's another group doing something in a quite different rhythm Mm. on another part of the stage and then somebody just lying down and resting the third part of the stage and seeing different layers of being that aren't even rhythmically connected but just seeing a stage world that can contain so much even with just seven or fewer people Uh, I, i always get deeply moved by that aspect of Cunningham dance theater
2: Save the arts, support the arts. (laughs) (laughs) Save the arts, support the arts. (laughs) Well, that all sounds great. And it's been so wonderful to catch up with you, Alistair. There's so many exciting things coming up. Do you know when your blog is coming out? Can you... Let our um, listeners I know. Tr-
4: I hope I can get it going by the end of August, but and yeah. I realize just going through this huge Giselle questionnaire, it may take a little longer. And <laughs> okay. I would love certainly to be able to announce it uh, before we start the city centre series mm-hmm. again right. on September 16th. That right. would be great, wouldn't it?
2: So if everyone follows you on social media, they'll be sure to.
4: <laughs> well, know. something I'm doing on social media also is working through Swan Lake. I'm just mm-hmm. I'm doing a big series just looking at old photographs and new photographs and. Asking the questions. Quite often, I've got my opinions and my answers, and they are historically researched. But interestingly, on Facebook, <laughs> grant Mansky follows me and he says, No, you've got this wrong. <laughs> ah. And gives me, in his wonderful, generous way, right. wonderful uh, information.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank well, you. Well, thank
3: you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure uh, to have you. I do you.
4: find, by the way, doing these things that it gives you energy. I find with all, this, all these talks, I'm, I'm often exhausted after a Zoom interview. But nonetheless, <laughs> at the time, I'm just aware, I'm just high to be seeing people and talking mm-hmm. to people again. I yes.
2: I That's know. Fun.
3: And to remind so, us of what we have to look forward to once we're out of this. Right. <laughs> like this is the connection. Bye, Alistair. Much love to both of you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Bye bye. Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the Conversations on Dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help. Click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation conversations on dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners you can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind the curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepodcom dance support
0: thank you for tuning in see you next week botox cosmetic out botulinum toxin a fda approved for over 20 years so talk to your specialist to see if botox cosmetic is right for you